also want you to let you know about a conference that we're going to host in a little over a month. Um, it's called The Adventure of Living Fully Alive. I love that title. The Adventure of Living Fully Alive. I think there's a, a flyer in your bulletin this morning. It's April 30th, May 1st, and May 2nd. It's 12 hours of teaching uh, from Exchange Life Ministries out of Dallas. Dr. John Best and Rick, our own Rick MacGyver will be leading those sessions Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday. And I hope that uh, you'll begin now to kind of clear your schedule to be able to participate in that. We'll start taking res- registrations here in the next week or two. Also, this is the coming first week of the month, so we have First Wednesday Prayer, which we'll meet on this uh, Wednesday night from 7 to 8. Uh, we would invite you to come and uh, pray with us on this first Wednesday of the month. All right, I'm just going to get this out of the way right up front. Is that all right? This morning, I became a grandfather for the third time. Sorry. I know that's shameless self-promotion, but I want you to meet Atticus Eugene Roberts. It'll grow on you, okay? I've been living with it for six months. It's growing on me, all right? He finally arrived this morning at 148. He's, he, was, he was only 9 pounds, 12 ounces. Finally got a linebacker in the family, which is, which is good. Okay, enough. You know, every time you see a child come into the, lo- into the world, and especially a child into your own family, um, you know what I think about as a grandfather? I think about what kind of world is my grandkid going to grow up in? And it might just be me, but I, I kind of sense that the world is going to get darker instead of lighter as he grows. I've seen it in my own lifetime, these some 30 plus years that I've lived. I said plus. Because there's been this concerted effort to secularize the culture, to marginalize the church, It's like there's been a a war to eliminate the influence of Christ through the church. And every decade, every passing generation uh, has bought more and more into this this whole idea that um, this dream that I can have everything I want and I can be happy and I can have a good life and I can do it without God. If I just meet the right person... To marry, I'm going to be happy. If I just get the right job, if I go into the right profession that makes enough money, my dreams are going to come true. And you know, I think about this this promotion of humanism, this promotion that we can do things on our own and achieve happiness, this, this promotion of secularization over the last 50 or 60 years. Where has it gotten us as a culture? All I can see is that it's left people broken, disillusioned and divorced, (laughs) estranged, lonely, hopeless, you name it. Maybe you can identify with some of that in your own life. You're here today and there's some pieces of brokenness or there's some 
effort that you're making to try it, to hold it all together, to make life work and to make it fit. And, uh, but you know, underneath it all, there's this underlying kind of either sadness or anger or frustration, or maybe you've just grown numb and you just get up and go to work, or you go to school every day and you come home and you do homework, or you just watch TV and you go to bed and you do it all again the next day and you just kind of like a zombie walk through life. And I had to ask the question as I study the, the crucifixion of Christ and what went on that last week in his life, I, I have to ask the kind of things that I see in the crowd around him that week. Could it be that we today expect things from God that um, have really nothing to do with what God wants to do in our life? Could it be that while we're waiting for God to fix things, to make things right, to grant us happiness, that there's something that's completely different in his mind, in his heart? For you and I. Because I see that in the case of the crowd during the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. Over and over throughout the week, uh, we see Jesus doing all kinds of things to demonstrate that he didn't come to make the world work for us, to fix our problems here, but to deliver us from the way the world tends to beat us down. To save us, to redeem us, so that the world loses its allure. He's come to transfer us, the scripture says, out of the kingdom of darkness into a marvelous kingdom of light. And today is Palm Sunday. And just think about what happened on Palm Sunday. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go into the village and get a donkey, a little donkey. It's a really small little kind of Young, full. Tell the owners that the Lord has need of it. And they did just that. And they, they get the little donkey and they bring it to Jesus and they sit him upon it. So that he can make the trail down from the Mount of Olives to the city of Jerusalem. He's, so he's up on the top of the Mount of Olives. He can see the city beneath him. And I want you to hear what the crowd is saying. It's Luke 19 verse 37. It says this, as soon as he was approaching, Luke 19, 37 and 38. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And of course, other Gospels use the word Hosanna, the word that we've come to associate with this day. And something that's kind of lost on us today, because we've probably grown up in churches where on Palm Sunday, what did the kids do? They came down the aisles, they're waving palms and all kinds of celebrations. Hosanna, Hosanna, it's a great, great day. But it's kind of lost on us what was really going on here. You see, it was normal for a conquering king to come into the conquered territory in full battle garb, riding on the most pristine stallion. That proved that he was a king. And Jesus is actually going out of his way to show the crowd that, hey, I'm no ordinary king. I want you to go get this little kind of baby donkey. And he was most likely dressed in peasant attire. And they put him on, this grown man, on this little 
full. I, I imagine the scene, and it, it almost had to be somewhat comical to people there <laughs> looking at this, but if they had seen, it says they saw him who do the miracles out in, in the countryside and out in the outlying areas. They saw all these miracles, and so, yeah, he's got to be the king. This doesn't make sense to me, but he's got to be the king. And so on with the hosannas. What about the disciples themselves? Well, they've got to be excited about this day, right? I mean, their ministry had been out, uh, renegated out to the uh, outlying areas, and they'd seen uh, measures of success out there. They'd seen crowds, and they've seen the miracles and the healings of Jesus and the teachings. But there was always this expectation, someday we're getting to the big city. Someday this is all going to come together. We're going to get to Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to release the Jews from their captivity. The Romans, they've got their day coming. And here we are. The day has come. It's time to enter the city. It's time for Jesus to be God for his people. Problem is, there's one person that's not joyful. There's one person that's not celebrating. And we read over in Luke 19, verse 41, because there's one who's weeping. And when he approached Jerusalem, Jesus, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. I studied that passage, I just realized that, you know, that message isn't for that day. It's not just for Jerusalem, it's for you and it's for me. There's people today that want peace. They want world peace. They want society at peace. They want their family at peace. They want their life at peace. And, and, and they're, they're on this search for settled rest in their soul. And they uh, think happiness, outside forces will come and they'll, they'll grant me this peace and they search for it, and Jesus is standing looking at that, and he's still weeping, and he's still saying, if you had only known this day, even you, the things which make for peace. He says there's going to be destruction that occurs when you try to find peace in your own way. There's going to be an enemy against you. There's going to be barricades thrown in your way. You're, you're going to feel hemmed in on every side. You're going to be consumed by the worries because you didn't recognize the time of my visitation. You ever feel like there's barriers? You ever feel like the enemy's putting up barricades in your life? Do you ever feel like you're hemmed in? You feel like it's all closing in on you? Can I just make a confession? I do sometimes. I do. And sometimes I mistakenly get going down the path that I think if God could just fix things, if God could just make certain people straighten up, If they would just treat me different. You ever go there? I had this expectation that God needs to make the world work for me. 
And it begins to get me going down a path that doesn't lead to very good places. You know, in all my years, my 30 plus years of living now, I've grown to come to one conclusion very clearly in my life, and that is that Jesus thinks differently than I think sometimes. You ever get that? You read the scripture, you look at Jesus, you look at his life, you look at the patterns of his life, you look at the things that are important to him, and you go, I want to think that way. I want to process life that way. You look at where Jesus goes on the back of a young donkey when he gets to Jerusalem. He, where, where is he going to go? When he first gets to Jerusalem, where does Jesus go? He heads right down through the main street and all the people are, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king. Hosanna, Hosanna, and he heads right for the temple. And the disciples said, already? <laughs> we just arrived and now we're going to get it already. We're going to get on the throne. Of the, we're going to, this is going to be great. Luke 19, 45. And Jesus entered the temple. And he began to drive out those who were selling and saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. And you've made it a robber's den. In Matthew's gospel, it said he threw over the tables. There was money on him. It scattered everywhere. Mark's gospel says that he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. He says that the religious rulers standing around were afraid of this nut case. And Jesus commands, he, he, he just bellows out and proclaims that my church, my church will be a place of communion and prayer with the Father. It will be a place where people connect with God. It won't be about selling things. It won't be about promoting things. It won't. It'll be about the Father. church that comes and enjoys him, communes with him, talks with him, listens to him, meets with him. That's my father's house. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. <laughs> Can you imagine being a disciple and seeing all that with your high hopes for this day? I'm, probably, I'm sure it probably ran through their minds that this is no way to build a following Jesus. If you want people to join your church, Jesus, you just messed up. But that's just it. Jesus wasn't about building this large crowd to follow him. He wasn't, a, he wasn't interested in building movements like we are today, you know, where we would just want to get the biggest church. We don't care what we have to do, the message, we'll even alter it if we can get a bigger place where people can come and give more money and build bigger buildings. And Maybe that's just me. Does that go on in the church world today? Jesus came to demonstrate what God looks like in a hostile world. Another scene from that week, the disciples are all with Jesus, they're preparing for the Passover and um, they had just all come into the room and this King Jesus, he again does the unexpected, he does what he shouldn't do. 
Instead of being the one served, he serves. He gets the towel and the wash basin and he tells the disciples to take off their sandals and he washes their dirty feet. And if you were a disciple standing around the circle that day, I'm sure your thought would have been, this is so wrong on so many levels. This is so wrong. Oh, Peter actually expresses that. He says, you're not going to wash my feet, king. <laughs> Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no place with me. He is again communicating that the kingdom of God works differently than the kingdom of the world. Think differently, operate differently, and you'll find the peace. There's another scene. Judas comes with the entourage to arrest Jesus, and um, he kisses Jesus to identify who it is to be arrested, and um, Peter's there. And now Peter realizes, actually, that what Jesus had been saying is now happening. That there would be one that would betray him and that that moment has now come. And Peter says, not on my watch. John 18, 10. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Again, Peter thinking, like sometimes you and I think. Hey, they're trying to, they're, they're, they're trying to diminish the church. They're trying to diminish the gospel. They're trying to do something to, to Jesus and not on my watch. And I, can, I just hear Jesus today telling his church to... Put the sword back in the sheath. Holster your weapons. Holster your weapons. We truly believe that uh, if we fight the way the world fights, we can restore the community to where it ought to be, right? If we can get the right politicians and the right laws and the right government, if we can really take it on and really defeat them, then we will be able to Have life back the way we want it. We need to bring them back. We need to bring this moral ethic to the culture. We need to enforce righteousness. And you hear me say this a lot. If you want a more Christian society, what do you need more of? Christians. Christians living out the gospel. Christians who love deeply. Who change one life after another. And by, what, by the way, you know the weapons that the world wars with? Policies and regulations and bills and governments and economics. and We have weapons far stronger than that. You know that? We have weapons that are divine. They're able to take down the strongholds of the enemy, the strongholds in your life, in your life, in your life, no matter what it is that you can't seem to get by. We have weapons available to us that can pull them down, defeat them. Why would we opt for the world's way? Cutting off an ear. 
Then there's the whole thing of the trial and the crucifixion. The Jewish leaders, they charge him with blasphemy. He claimed to be the Son of God. Can't let that stand. And so they take him to Pilate who says, I don't find any fault in him. Sends him over to Herod who just mocks him and plays with him like a toy, dressing him up, making fun of him, and sends him back to Pilate. I don't have time for this. Pilate, he's just worn down by the crowd. We read this in John 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it, that's mildly putting it, but they stuck it on his head and put a purple robe on him and they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I, I find no fault, I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. You know, we don't know for sure, but could there have been maybe somebody in the crowd that day that was also in the crowd a few days earlier shouting Hosanna? I mean, they had such high hopes for him. They had such high hopes for this week, and he'd kind of done everything he could to kind of say, that's not what I'm about. The cross, as we know, was put down on the ground, and most of the criminals would have to be forcibly put on there. I have to think that Jesus just maybe crawled on the cross himself. They drove the nails in his hands and the bloods poured out and they drove the nails in his feet and the blood poured out and they hoisted it up and they dropped it in the hole. And as he hung there bleeding, the people would walk by and, oh, he could save other people. He can't even save himself. He just completely failed in their eyes. And worse than that, he had... Destroyed their faith in their eyes. He hadn't met the requirements for God. And they killed him. But then something happened, praise God. We read it over in Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. At that moment, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Tombs were opened. The many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. The Roman centurion, the centurion watching over all of this, those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened, I would say so. And the Roman centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. He got it, didn't he? Do you think we would get it today if the earthquake would happen? 
and the rocks would split and dead people would come out of the tombs? Is that what it takes for us today to understand that the kingdom of God has come? His death released this divine power. The the curtain torn in two. It used to be that only the priest could go in where God's place was, the mercy seat, the Holy of Holies. Now the, the veil is rent in two, and you and I can go into the Holy of Holies and talk to God. He came to deliver us. So many times we want him to fix things. Because of what Jesus did, there's freedom for you and there's freedom for me. We can come to him and give him our pain and he will put it on the cross with him. We can come to him with our sin and he will bear it on the cross. Every time that we get to thinking that we want, we want him to fix our world. We realize how disappointing that is and how much coming to Him in the fullness of who He is brings about the actual work that He wants to do in us. Jesus isn't saying to you today through the cross that I want to come and because I have the power of the cross behind me, I want to come and release power into your life to fix things and make your life exactly the way you want to. He is coming to you today and says, I want you to come and bring all of your stuff to the cross and let it die there with me. Maybe you're here today and you've kind of always wondered, why did Jesus have to die? What does Jesus dying on a cross centuries ago have to do with me today? If that runs through your mind, I want you to know that the the cross of Christ was this, this payment of punishment for your sin and my sin. And I can come to him today and say, Jesus... I I, I don't necessarily, I'm not coming to you today to say, I want you to make my life better. I'm coming to you today because I need you to fill the hole in my heart. I need you to come and fill the places of emptiness in my life. I need you to come and release me from all of the stuff that the world has leveled at me. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried and I failed and I failed. I'm coming to you today saying, just as I am, here I am. Would you fill me with you? Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian for a long time, but You've slipped kind of back into this whole idea that the the role of God in your life is to make life work here in this world. To make sure that you're free from sickness, free from pain, free from anything that might debilitate your happiness over the course of your life. And so when it doesn't go that way, something's wrong with God. Something may be wrong with your relationship with God. You ask yourself these questions. Why is life such a struggle? Why is all this stuff happening to me? How come at the end of the month, the ends of my finances don't meet? (laughs) Why can't my spouse just change? God, could you work on that? I just have to tell you that there have been times in my life where I have felt like a failure. You ever been there? That's kind of the way my personality processes things. And there's times in my life where not only have I felt like a failure, I was a failure. And there have been times when the world just wasn't working out for me. 
I think of these young people and I think of the life that they have in front of them and I think about all of the dreams and the hopes and uh, who am I going to marry? I wonder what my kids are going to look like. I wonder how all this is going to turn out. I wonder how much money I'm going to make. I wonder what kind of house I'm going to live in. It's, I just can't wait to see all of the things that life is going to bring to me. And as somebody, again, who's lived 30 plus years, Chasing that dream leads you to places you don't want to go. I've learned that healing, I've learned that all that I ever need, I've learned that the fulfillment, the fullness, purpose is found at the foot of the cross. The place where I die. The, uh, Jesus said, you die every day. You, you die to the stuff of this world. And there's a release. There's healing. It's where you trade ashes, it says in Isaiah, for the beauty. For your sadness, joy. talks about a fainting spirit that's negative. I just can't make it into a mantle of praise. So the invitation is to come to the cross. Father, in these closing moments, in this season of the year, Father, as we turn our attention to the the core of the gospel of who we are as followers of Christ and the celebration of the life that you've given us, it's, it's that time where we can once again see the beauty of the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us. And Father, there's sometimes as we go through our life, we get more and more distant from the time in which grace came flooding into our heart and our life and it becomes more of a part of our history and way back there sometime. And I'm praying in these closing moments of this service that you take us all to the place of the cross. That we actually see you and what you've done for us. Yes, we know that Easter comes and we know that you rise from the dead. And we know the power that is released through the new life that you have given to us. Oh, but the work of grace that you've done for us. May we cherish it. May we drink it in once again. I pray, Father, for the person that may be here today and has never given their life to you. They've never come to the point of understanding and receiving saving grace. I pray, Father, that in these moments they would simply say, Lord, I receive you. I'm coming to you just the way I am. I've got sin in my life. I've got things in my life I'm not proud of. But I'm coming to you and I say, I'm taking advantage of the offer of grace. You knew I couldn't live a good life, and so you've given it to me. Would you forgive me and bring me into your kingdom? I pray, Father, for the Christian that may be here, and they're just disgruntled, and they're confused, and they're, they're really kind of upset with you because they got stuff going on that they wish that you would just come in and take care of, and Oh, I pray, Father God, that you would release them from the pursuit that the world has sold them. 
this, this pursuit, they, they, they should chase after these things. And the world has made it where everybody else is doing it. Oh, Father, would you release them from the, the pursuit of career, the pursuit of reputation, the pursuit of influence even. And just make them broken vessels of your grace. Receptors of your love. So that they can be free from the way the world will disappoint and discourage and throw rocks at you. We thank you, Father, for this blessed life that you've given us. We cherish it. It's amazing. I want us to stand and sing that, that song we sang earlier. I wonder if...